fact in depth discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good day. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa for a new day and a new installment of African Dialogue. Remember, you're listening to us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, today we're going to be crossing live to the second Commonwealth Conference on Youth Work. It's being held in Johannes, in Pretoria, rather, at the University of South Africa. That's in, jo- in Pretoria at the University of uh, South Africa. So we'll find out more what's happening with that particular conference. But hey, we've got Anne Moussa with us. She's going to give us our news. In the headlines, three police officers killed in a Somali bomb attack. No plans to send South Africa's special forces to fight militant group Boko Haram in Nigeria. And the UN Security Council wraps up a visit to West Africa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. Militants in the Somali capital Mogadishu have set off a vehicle packed with explosives near a police building, killing three police officers. The Al-Shabaab group has claimed responsibility. In the past two weeks, Al-Shabaab launched mortar bomb attacks near the presidential palace, blown up a car bomb near a busy park in Mogadishu and set off twin blasts in a town northwest of the capital. Dozens of people have been killed. South Africa's National Defence Force says there are no plans to send special forces to go and fight militant group Boko Haram in Nigeria. Spokesperson Sipiwe Lamini was reacting in a tweet to a statement by Nigerian Defence Minister Mansou Dan Ali. Ali said South Africa could be sending its special forces to Nigeria to help that country fight militant group Boko Haram, mainly through skills transfer. Ali was speaking after a meeting with South Africa's Defence Minister Nosivwe Mapisa Ngakula on Monday. The National... The Nigerian National Emergency Agency says the death toll from a five-story building that collapsed in Lagos could rise. The agency says 15 deaths have been confirmed, but some Nigerian media are reporting 18 deaths. It's feared that more bodies are under the rubble of the collapsed building. Rescue officials on the scene, Michael Akikilinde, says they are in a race against time because they can hear voices from beneath the rubble. We are hearing voices. We have assured them. And by the grace of God, we will bring any other remaining alive. But I cannot tell you how many people are under the debris. 
The United Nations Security Council has wrapped up a three-day mission to West Africa, making its final stop in Dakar, Senegal. The delegates composed of representatives from France, Angola, Senegal and Russia also travelled to Mali and Guinea-Bissau. In Mali, the council vowed to support the country's peace and reconciliation efforts. Meanwhile, the ongoing political and institutional tensions in Guinea-Bissau have been a cause of concern for the council. And finally, South Africa's Independent Electoral Commission says it celebrates the high number of youth who registered for the first time during the past weekend. More than 184,000 young people between 18 and 19 registered for the first time. The electoral body held its first voter registration drive around the country at the weekend. IEC's Vice Chairperson Terry Zelani. The total number of people who came to visit our voting station it's around 3,097,000. And those that uh, are new registration is about 692,000. And then those who re-registered were about 1.86 million. Uh, as a result of the Concord uh, judgment, we've been emphasizing this issue of people having to update their registration details. So we managed to get about 1.3 million updating their, their registration details. Recapping the top stories, three police officers killed in a Somali bomb attack. No plans to send South Africa's special forces to fight militant group Boko Haram in Nigeria. And the UN Security Council wraps up a visit to West Africa. The seventh IT Leaders Africa Summit takes place at Vodacom World near Johannesburg, South Africa from the 15th to the 16th of March. The event is more than just another conference. It is led by some of today's key individuals who are shaping the IT landscape. Leaders in the industry have been consulted to tailor an agenda that is both current and topical. So if you cannot make it to the summit, then don't you worry. Channel Africa will be there, so listen to us as we broadcast live from the 7th IT Leader Summit, taking place on the 15th and 16th of March. You can catch us on the shortwave on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band or on the DSTV channel 902, as well as on the internet channelafrica.org. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue. If I'm not mistaken, we'll also be broadcasting there live at that uh, conference that was just highlighted next week, Monday. So it's going to be exciting indeed. It's an IT conference that's underway, and I think it's happening right here in Johannesburg. But we'll give you the details tomorrow and during the week if African Dialogue is going to be there. But hey, let's look at what's happening today. We're crossing live to the University of South Africa in Pretoria. There's a second Commonwealth conference that's underway. The Commonwealth Secretariat, in partnership with the Republic of South Africa, the National Youth Development Agency of South Africa, and the University of South Africa, holding the second Commonwealth conference on youth work. The conference will address a range of issues critical to the enhancement of the profession with uh, papers from academics, practitioners, and importantly, young people who are the receivers of youth work services. Plenary speakers will include leading figures in 
and the work of uh, youth uh, work community. So to help us unpack this issue, we joined on the line by Catherine Ellis, who is the director of the youth division at the Commonwealth Secretariat. We also have uh, Yeshen Pillay, who is the executive chairperson of the National Youth Development Agency. Uh, last but not least, we have Professor Veronica McKay, who's the dean of the College of Education at the University of South Africa. So all the stakeholders of this gathering are with us on our line. Let's start the conversation with you, Catherine. Thank you for giving us your time. Good morning. It's a pleasure. Catherine, tell us a little bit more for our listeners to understand what the Commonwealth Secretariat is all about, what is your function and what you do. Uh, So the Commonwealth is a, a free association of 53 member countries, and we focus on development and democracy um, those countries are working together to share knowledge and uh, support each other and really sort of build up the technical capacity and the uh, vision that each country has for their, for their development and their futures. So what we're really aiming for, I guess, is peace and prosperity for every country that's driven by the countries themselves in, in terms of sharing and learning with each other. Mm. Now, you work for the youth division. Why is there an emphasis on youth? Well, Commonwealth has had a long-term uh, focus on youth development. Uh, back in the 70s, the member governments, the heads of government, recognised that for countries to really prosper, they needed to make sure that they were um, investing in their young people and developing them. And that's even more relevant today when so many countries are having a youth bulge where over 60 and sometimes over 70% of the population are young people under 30. And so the youth division is, is focused very much on supporting our member governments to put good, great policies and programming in place to develop their young people socially and politically and and economically as well. Mm. Now tell us a little bit about this conference, the second Commonwealth Conference on Youth Work, a little bit about the theme, what's happening, and I highlighted just briefly what's going to be happening, but it's important. Why should people actually care what's happening there at the university? Well, um, part of the focus that the Commonwealth has on, on young people and their development is the fact that the youth work profession is absolutely critical to that. Um, Besides young people themselves, the best advocates for young people are the youth workers who support them and encourage them and develop them and engage them and empower them. And so what we're focusing on is how do we make sure that those youth workers are recognised and valued and invested in and also that their education and training is of a high quality because youth work is actually a profession. Um, but it's not often recognised as that in the same way that teaching or law or engineering is, is recognised as, as profession. You know, it has a unique set of skills and mm. principles and really underpinned by the principles of youth development. So it's very important that as a sector, youth workers are recognised. And that's what this conference is about. It's about making sure that, um, that, that uh, youth workers are coming together and uh, looking at how to sort of form associations to make sure that the standards are high and the education is available. And again, with the sort of principle of the mm. Commonwealth countries helping each other, also learning from each other, because a lot of the Commonwealth countries are small and developing, and they don't have the capacity by themselves to put these sort of mechanisms mechanism in place. Mm. We'll unpack the whole idea about what we're talking about when we're speaking about youth work so we get a clear understanding on that. But let me move to Yeshen Pillay from the National Youth Development Agency. Yeshen, tell us a little bit about your involvement. I know a little bit about the National Youth Development Agency. Usually it is known for its uh, being a, a business uh, a startup for young people in South Africa. What's your involvement in this uh, conference? 
Well, the NYDA, uh, which is government's uh, agency for coordinating and uh, facilitating youth development in the country, uh, has partnered with uh, the University of South Africa, uh, led by the presidency, uh, together with the Commonwealth Secretariat, uh, to play a part in actually ensuring the success of the second uh, Commonwealth Conference on Youth Work. The conference is uh, not a youth conference per se, because it uh, it really does focus on uh, youth work. Uh, and how do does how, well, the progress we've made in professionalizing youth work, the concept and practice of youth work, and engaging young people in nation building as we seek to professionalize youth work. And um, we know with the new National Youth Policy 2020, uh, which speaks about professionalizing youth work, uh, the NYDA's role is really as a facilitator of uh, more discussion around what is youth work, how the you know the contribution of young people in promoting their own needs, interests, and aspirations, and sharing what kind of uh, youth work would be responsive to uh, both the economic, social, and, and, and cultural progress of young people. So this idea really has partnered uh, with these various institutions in really promoting the professional development of youth work, both locally and globally. Well, let me move that on to you, mm. Professor Veronica McKay, who's the Dean of the College of Education at the University of South Africa. Let me bring you into this conversation and maybe ask that question to you about what is youth work? Um, okay, thank you. Um, youth work is service to the youth, and the way that we are looking at it from a university point of view is to look at the supply side of youth workers, because um, youth service relies on well-trained professional youth development practitioners, and so we are um, we, we we're looking at it in terms of the the recent white paper on post-schooling that focuses very significantly on on what we call the needs that those young people, particularly those not in education, employment, or training and looking at ways that we could best serve that target group. Um, We're looking at ways of um, providing professional youth practitioners. By um, At the moment, we, we're working very closely with the, um, the Commonwealth Consortium. We're collaborating with them on um, appropriate qualifications that uh, we can draw a lot of the expertise from the Commonwealth Consortium. And we've worked with this um, for the last two decades. But we're now at a stage where we are expected, um, in terms of our policy in South Africa, to align ourselves with a minimum requirement for adult and community education and training. And there are specific requirements within the policy that we would like um, to draw upon and to combine with the um, support that we get from the Commonwealth um, Secretariat to provide optimal training for, for youth workers and youth development mm, workers. Mm. And it would cut across, there would be a common core on what is the youth, how do you deal with the youth, what mm. are the issues, how do you do participatory where the youth themselves are leading the, um, the, the path mm. um, forward. And, but also um, issues that um, we, we recognize amongst the youth, for example, HIV, um, the problems with substance abuse, mm. unemployment, on, and the need for entrepreneurial skills, and so on. Mm. And so it's very broad, and in the university, and indeed, I believe, across the country, it shouldn't be vested in, in one 
um, discipline for us it's a it's really broad and multidisciplinary mm. way of approaching youth development well we'll unpack that because youth work seems to be one of the most challenging types of uh, maybe forms of work to do in communities because it's really entrenched in the grassroots and sometimes it's usually youth work that's not really supported by mainstream institutions and it's really hard when you're on the ground dealing with some of those issues that Professor Veronica McKay spoke about, unemployment, the problems of uh, substance abuse, the problems of HIV AIDS and sometimes you see a lot of youth workers who are not really well equipped to actually deal with these hard hitting issues but Hey, what are your thoughts about the issue that we're discussing today? We're actually crossing live to the second Commonwealth Conference on Youth Work, which is in Pretoria at the University of South Africa. How do you think youth work can be improved on the continent? How can we support youth work in our various communities? Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. <laughs> Channel Africa has some good news for you, the listener. The station now has an interactive voice recording system. This means if you want to leave a verbal message, you can now call on plus 2783-913-3000. You will be prompted to push a number for the language of your message. For English, you just press 1. So if you want to leave us a message which we can play in a later program and answer your question, play your message. Remember to dial plus 2783-913-3000 and wait for the prompt to press 1 for English. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're with me, Benjamin Moshatama, and you're listening to us on DSTV on Channel 902. Hey, what are your thoughts around how can we support youth work in our various communities? Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. We want to hear from you. You can also tweet us at African Dialogue. That's at African Dialogue. That's our Twitter handle. Today, we're crossing live to the second Commonwealth conference on youth work that's being held at the University of South Africa that's in Pretoria and uh, really looking at the issue of youth work services that are provided in communities and it's not just uh, young people attending this conference but also experts, academics, practitioners and also um, professionals who know and understand the field of youth work. Catherine Ellis, you know when you look at youth work especially in sub-Saharan Africa you see that youth work is almost peripheral, it's almost like the other not really central to the themes of how we actually govern countries as well. We don't centralize youth work as part of governance. And sometimes when you look at what's happening in the communities, especially looking at non-governmental organizations that are working with young people, uh, when it comes to these issues, most of them are underfunded. Most of them really don't get that great support. And really, uh, maybe also they don't really have expertise in the fields that they work with and that seems to be the main challenge could you unpack what can be done to deal with those issues because that's really really worrying to see that youth work has become almost peripheral in society yes thank you i, I think um i'm sorry i couldn't hear the other speakers very well so if, if i repeat anything they said i'm, I'm sorry but, sure i apologize um, I for think, that i think that the, the, the 
point, probably the most important point to make here is that investment in youth workers and, and through that investment in young people can actually create, uh, a, a, it's a prevention mechanism as well as a development mechanism. And it always amazes me that countries are willing to throw enormous amounts of money at fixing, trying to fix problems uh, after they've occurred. But in actual fact, if the money was invested up front in, in youth workers, you're actually preventing a lot of issues happening down the track. And at the same time, you're, you're actually developing young people in a very positive way so they become really positive citizens and assets to their society. So I think that if we can start making the case a bit better, that might actually have a, a, an influence because really young people need to be at the centre of development uh, and, and therefore youth work needs to be perceived as a, as a key mechanism for that. And mm, I, you see mm. that in some countries now um, at the policy level that's being embedded into national youth policies and national planning. Um, in, so South Africa, Zambia, um, in, this, in this region, but also in the Commonwealth, um, countries like Sri Lanka and India, uh, Solomon Islands, Jamaica, they've, they've started putting youth work into their national policies as well. I think that's going to help because it really forces recognition of the sector and of the importance mm. of the sector. Mm. Professor Veronica, your thoughts around the support of uh, youth work, it seems like it's very on the outside of issues, especially when it comes to developmental themes. Um, yeah, I, 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 can't, I also couldn't hear very clearly, but I think the mm. parts that I heard of the previous speaker, and I think sure. it was Catherine, um, is that if the youth are not, um, if they are left on society's margins, all of us will be impoverished. And I'm quoting um, a, a lovely quotation from Kofi Annan. He says, let us ensure that all young people have every opportunity to participate fully in the lives of their societies. And and uh, yeah, we haven't really we we put um, resources into um, into prisons or into you know into um, areas that where as if we harness the possibilities and the capabilities of the youth and we were able to nurture and to 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 help them to develop in 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 the ways that they can contribute meaningfully to society and take the lead. Indeed, this is our future. Um, the youth, mm. of the, the the current um, young people within this category of youth, are, are the adults in the next um, twenty years. Which, you know, in the next millennium. Uh, so, the, in terms of our millennium goals, and we really do need to capitalise on mm. on on development in this area, and to look at those on the margins in rural areas to look at disabled youth. We haven't had a focus, and I noticed in the conference that there wasn't really a focus on um, youth who are disabled. Mm -hmm. And to be able to bring from the margins all of this to the center to support it, and perhaps every um, sector of government needs to have like we had in in the days with HIV, you mainstreamed it. We do need to mainstream youth, that mm. whether it's education and training, whether it's sports, arts and culture, um, international policy, and so on. That there should always be a focus on on the position of the youth.
Well, let me move to you, Yishan. I know that you work for the National Youth Development Agency. It's interesting that Professor Veronica McKay is suggesting that we should actually bring this youth work back into the mainstream of society, especially when it comes to the developmental agenda. Your thoughts around that? I know the National Youth Development Agency is well known because it has a lot of money and funding, so people focus on the agency itself. But what challenges have you seen when it comes to, to this sector itself and also making yourself more accessible to the sector empowering that sector. Well, I think that that's actually the the, the you know one of the biggest challenges is that uh, people think a lot of your you know investment, whether financial or non-financial, be made into mm. youth development. It's not the case. Mm. In fact, you know the NYDA's budget relative to all other state entities or even government for that matter is minuscule. Uh, you look at the fact that we've got 42% of the population being youth, uh, 21 million young people in the country, uh, almost 3.2 million uh, looking for a job or some kind of support. And uh, the NYD's budget of 400 billion rand is uh, required to support or uh, respond to the needs of uh, you know almost 21 million young people. Now, uh, you know, we spend a lot more on other areas, but youth development is actually cross-cutting. It crosses across various uh, types of, um, you know, whether it's government departments or in the private sector. And we need to do a lot more to really invest in youth. Uh, you know, uh, we, one of our famous leaders, Oliver Tambo, once uh, said that, you know, a, a nation that does not invest in its youth doesn't have a future and doesn't deserve one. And uh, we, we it may have made significant strides in terms of youth development, in terms of our policy landscape, in terms of our programs. South Africa is one of the largest youth entrepreneurship support programs in the world, a 2.7 billion fund uh, for young uh, entrepreneurs, for, for example. But, you know, youth are a significant growing and distinct group in society. And um, we, need to, we really need to view youth as assets to society, uh, as uh, not simply, you know, adults in waiting, but uh, as equal partners in their own development. And so as the NYDA, we've taken the approach to say that youth must lead and we will support and will support either through in providing programs and services such as career guidance, such as, uh, you know, financial and non-financial support to start a small business if you want to, scholarships or bursaries to study further, or just information to access the multitude of opportunities that are out there for any young person to thrive. But I think ultimately the way society views youth is quite fundamental and um, the belief that adults mm-hmm. know what is best for youth mm-hmm. often interferes with the development of a genuine dialogue about youth participation and youth programs. And hopefully a conference of this nature can start to address those interferences. Mm. Speaking about the kind of seriousness of the youth work as highlighted by uh, Yeshen, Catherine, I'm not sure, we're trying to sort out the whole idea that we, everyone should hear each other, but let's just be patient in a while while we're sorting that issue. I'm not quite sure why you can't hear each other. But coming back to you, Catherine, um, the issue of professionalizing um, youth work is also another element that's important for the adv- advancement of uh, the, this particular theme. Yes, it's absolutely important. And as I was saying before, um, it's part of youth work being recognised for the true discipline that it is. And so the Commonwealth, um, over 40 years, has sort of had gone through an evolution of firstly doing residential training of youth workers and then developing a diploma of youth development work um, that was picked up and delivered by a number of universities, including UNISA. And in fact, UNISA has had the most graduates out of that diploma program of any university. And, and now um, it's being upgraded into a bachelor degree 
which we are making available to universities across uh, the Commonwealth for free for them to be able to set up a bachelor degree and a diploma degree and form a consortium where they actually support each other with new thinking and case studies and things that are really, really rich mechanism. So that's one part is, is actually creating the access to youth work qualifications for youth workers. And that means youth workers who are working with, you know, really at the pointy end with young people with drug and alcohol mm. problems or mm. homelessness or teenage pregnancy, but also people who are sports coaches and working in faith-based organisations and those sort of things, who are generally working with young people every day and therefore youth workers that may not actually see themselves as that. So that sort of training is important for them as well. And then mm. the next step is, is actually creating the resources for people to take up that, um, those, that, those training opportunities. So scholarships and recognition in, in government, um, education funding programs, and then, then also, of course, once they graduate, that jobs are available that recognise those qualifications. So, again, sort of engaging with national service commissions um, and national public sector structures to make sure that the qualifications are recognised. And in an ideal scenario, everybody working in a youth ministry would have a qualification in youth work. Well, I'm going to take one and, more... And then, sorry, sure, one, sure. One, one, one other point, and this is what we're talking a lot go for about. It. Sure, go for it, Catherine. As well, is the importance of professional associations that can create a collective of youth workers, partly to promote education and training, but also to create a united voice for advocacy on policy around youth work and also to share good practice um, within countries but across borders as well. So um, Mm. what we hope one of the outcomes of this conference will be is that the national youth work associations in each country will come together as an alliance across Mm. the Commonwealth and in countries where a national work, youth work association doesn't exist yet, mm. there will be a catalyst for, for thinking to start and, and discussions to start on that happening. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and come back to you, Professor Veronica, in, in the issue of professionalization of uh, this uh, youth work and how uh, the University of South Africa has actually succeeded incorporating some courses that have to do with youth work within its uh, syllabus and also its uh, whole format of uh, institution. So we'll come back to that issue because do they have enough opportunities outside after they actually get those qualifications? That seems to be uh, a question. I'd like to look at plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's our SMS number plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Give us your thoughts. Hey, how do you think we can do more to support youth work in our communities? Youth work is not also just about issues such as uh, uh, you know negative issues such as maybe uh, alcohol, as we said, unemployment. Sometimes youth work is about uh, actually. Um, art centers and different other things, positive things in society so young people can become engaged. And also we just uh, talk about uh, the diversity of youth work after we touch on that issue of professionalization. And also what I'm thinking as well, how do we ensure that we also bring youth work, uh, maybe some form of youth work within um our schools. I know that we used to have PTA when I was young, where we used to have a teacher who used to teach us activities and all sorts of things. We used to have art and those kind of things. Things were very versatile. And so we used to have youth workers who used to work with us. But now in a country like South Africa, that's actually in the peripheries. You don't get PTA anymore. You don't get arts in schools anymore. So just that kind of work, can it be brought back into mainstream schools. What are your thoughts? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, Or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. 
The 7th IT Leaders Africa Summit takes place at Vodacom World near Johannesburg, South Africa from the 15th to the 16th of March. The event is more than just another conference. It is led by some of today's key individuals who are shaping the IT landscape. Leaders in the industry have been consulted to tailor an agenda that is both current and tropical. So if you cannot make it to the summit, then don't you worry. Channel Africa will be there, so listen to us as we broadcast live from the 7th IT Leaders Summit, taking place on the 15th and 16th of March. You can catch us on the shortwave on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band or on the DSTV channel 902, as well as on the internet channelafrica.org. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, today we are looking at the second Commonwealth Conference on Youth Work underway currently at the University of South Africa in Pretoria. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. We have Catherine Ellis, the Director of the Youth Division at the Commonwealth Secretariat. We've got Yashen Pillay, the Executive Chairperson of the National Youth Development Agency, and Professor Veronica McKay, who's the Dean of the College of Education at the University of South Africa. Uh, Professor, let me come to you and ask you that question. Maybe you've got more to talk about when it comes to professionalization of of youth work and I know that as highlighted by Catherine now you also have some uh, forms of curriculum subjects that actually deal with youth work when it comes to the syllabus how successful has it been and also do people get opportunities after studying themes that touch on youth work um, Benjamin yes I think Catherine covered most of the the issues of professionalization sure um, except I would like to to add one last point mm. in South Africa we we like to always include codes of conduct that um, that if you're a professional in a particular sector, that there are codes for how you conduct yourself. For example, if you're a teacher or you are a social worker and so on. And so that could be the ad- one of the um, additions. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, qualifications becomes essential because when you are um, regarded as professional, there would need to be a series of qualifications, which we have been doing up until now and which we are revamping in line with the two new policies that um, that we've received in South Africa from um, uh, two new policies of, of the South African government and Department of Education. But that the qualifications link into each other, that they're articulated, um, that they are multidisciplinary. And so while there would be a common core on, on what is youth and how do we work with the youth and what are the issues of the youth, the kind of electives that we would look at would be youth in different circumstances. Um, and I mentioned earlier, um, for example, youth and disability or um, or youth and, 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 you know, and gender, for example. Mm-hmm. And so... A curriculum that would focus on those aspects, but that would also focus heavily on on youth's participation. And I think my colleague from the um, Youth Commission mentioned it now that mm. it's about processes of how do you have youth as leadership mm. in youth issues. How do you, as a facilitator, facilitate that young people actually develop the agency and take part in their own. Um, development mm. and in, in, in leading the development of other youth. So those are the kinds of issues that we're looking at at the moment. And we're also looking at a substantive 
research agenda for issues of the youth. And I think what the, the, the conference has done now is it's opened many, many areas for further research and to expand our own research agenda. And one of the issues we are considering at the university at the moment, and which was our mandate from the previous meeting, was a youth development institute um, that would sp- focus specifically on, on education, training, mm. development, and research um, in, the, in the discipline of, mm. of youth and young people. Mm. Yeshen, your thoughts on this professionalization area that we're covering now? Look, I mean, I, I, I do think we need uh, more uh, research on, on the matter. And, uh, you know, one of the models we're also piloting at the NYDA, which is actually going to be launched tomorrow, is the, the Youth Development Institute at the University of Johannesburg, uh, where a lot of work has started there about trying to unpack, uh, you know, the various factors that drive some of the, the social and economic issues facing young people, whether it be from youth unemployment to changing youth cultures, both locally and globally. And I think as we, we generate more research uh, on uh, the youth movement, youth culture, etc., we'll be able to also assist the youth workers uh, in their day-to-day tasks. Uh, I think we also, you know, uh, probably are lacking data in some areas. Uh, one must com- commend the Commonwealth uh, for, you know, developing things such as your Youth Development Index, which measures mm-hmm. uh, across various indicators, five indicators in particular, youth mm-hmm. development across various countries. And then allows us uh, as uh, youth development agencies as well to identify which are the, the target groups, uh, there are 24 youth target groups from youth in rural areas to youth with disabilities, uh, young women, etc. Identify which of them need more attention than the others in terms of support and support them uh, in the various um, mm. initiatives. There are young people who are actually leading their own development, starting their own businesses, taking advantage of opportunities, be it in uh, you know, as professionals or otherwise. And I think they just need support, that enabling environment. Uh, and if the public and private sector can work together in, the, in all countries, we'll be able to provide that enabling environment uh, that may also help the youth workers' profession in time to come. Hmm. I'm also interested in the whole idea of what I was highlighting earlier, Catherine, bringing also this youth work within mainstream school systems. Um, like I was making an example in when I was younger, I'm still young, I'm in only in my <laughs> 30s. <laughs> but when I was way, way, way younger, I'm sounding like I'm in my 50s, I'm this middle-aged man, but I'm not. But um, Catherine, my point is, when I was younger, we used to have PTA, where we used to have activities and you'd have this teacher or this group coming into our school and they would actually give us a little few facilitating processes and we would learn different things would learn swimming would learn art would learn so many different things and for me that was interesting for me because I was a creative from a young age so I, when I got into a classroom I kind of you know wanted to go I couldn't wait for the PTA period um, you know when we speak about youth work it's not just about issues that are actually uh, maybe depressing or negative, but also youth work can be positive and can actually affirm young people and also allow young people to find different avenues in life itself. So how do we incorporate um, youth work back into mainstream schooling and education? Because we can't just say, hey, it's just in the communities. How do we make sure that it's also part of uh, the schooling systems? You're absolutely right. In fact, Youth work, ideally, is far more focused on positive youth development of young people than dealing with young people with issues. Um, hopefully, you can catch them before there are issues, you know. Um, but the, the, and part of that is really empowering young people to have their own voice, 
and um, supporting them to do that, helping them have access to decision makers and and also um, creating a situation where young people are able to take action themselves and, and lead community activities and things. So, And you'll find actually a lot of youth workers are young people themselves and they're peer leaders or they're very young who are sort of professionals now. So that positive side of things is incredibly important. Um, and I, I, I agree with you that making sure that the sort of engagement skills that youth workers um, generally are, are very good at are brought into the schooling system, particularly to um, make sure that young people who are not engaged through standard uh, education mechanisms also have that sense of belonging and, and are finding their own strengths within the education system and their own way to take a pathway towards success. And, and that, that last point I made is actually very, very important. One of the huge factors for young people living positive lives is having experiences of success. And for a young person who's not particularly academic, having success around performing arts or sport or um, creative pursuits like photography or things like that can be an incredibly important part of actually them staying engaged with formal education mechanisms as well. So I think in terms of how do you do that, it's really got to be up to each country and each mm. system mm. as to how they want to do that because different education systems operate differently. But I think even just recognising that there's a role there is an important starting point. Mm. Professor, your thoughts? Um, okay, yes. To say that we have in our own country, we have in South Africa, um, the, the School Act expects that school, high schools in particular have learner representative councils and they, they, they're often charged with working out school codes of conduct, school rules, how, how to manage the school better, they, they engage with mm-hmm. that. But also on tackling prob- um, projects. So, for example, um, if there's a school environmental project or a clean-up project or a greening project, but they, they are empowered to lead relevant interventions within their own schools. Um, so we do have it. It's probably not functioning as well as it should do, but basically we, the provision is made for that, for young, and I'm talking about young high school um, learners. In our own teacher development courses, when we work with senior phase and also with the FET phase, we, we, part of our own teacher curriculum is how to use young people to champion young people's causes. Um, so that you work with the you, you work with the youth rather than um, to exclude them. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it's it's very much on the agenda. It's just uh, you know, I keep saying we've got it all. We're just not getting it together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Yeshen, how do we but create that? Yeah, sure, sure, Catherine, go ahead before I wrap it up with Catherine, just yeah, briefly. Yes, I just I just want to give you an example of some of what I've seen that work. I was doing some work in Madagascar before I joined the Commonwealth, not the Commonwealth country, but anyway. Um, and I was working with students in the universities there who were mobilising to actually lead community projects themselves. And so they were actually, a, a group of young people were mobilising other young people and therefore mm-hmm. being youth leaders and youth workers. And those, those groups, they were actually doing community projects like teaching children civic education and doing a voter registration, uh, sorry, a, a birth registration program so that young pe- people who weren't recognised as citizens, were able to get recognised and therefore access to education and, and voting rights and things like that. So, so actually, you can actually work through the education system mm. through young people themselves. Um, and in Australia, also, I used to run an NGO there where we worked very much with young people in using popular culture and very sort of engaging psychodrama sort of activities. 
and we used to run programs in schools. And at one point, the teachers started saying, look, I don't know what you did with this young person, but please <laughs> teach me how to do it. <laughs> so we started running training for teachers in these engagement mechanisms. So it could work that way as well. Mm. Mm. Well, let me let Tishen have a final say. How do we create this whole field to be more integrated? I'm sure with the National Youth Development Agency, this needs to start from a lower level upwards before young people become entrepreneurs and actually start uh, owning their own futures. I'm sure that it has to start from a, a primary level moving upwards, hey? Indeed, uh, and, and I think fundamentally we, we just need more coordination. Sure. There's a lot of good work, but it's highly fragmented. Sure. Uh, and so we're not realizing the impact we should be realizing. Mm. So if we coordinate the work better, uh, I'm sure we could see better results, uh, reaching more young people and also improving mainstreaming. And, and you're quite correct, Ben. I mean, I remember, you know, we used to also have market days in school yeah, after the formal yeah. learning process. And so you, you'd introduce the concept of entrepreneurship at a very early age to a young person. Uh, and so, you know, those have stopped uh, largely in our schools, and we need to start reintroducing some of those informal learning. But the other example is, you know, if you look at something like career guidance uh, support, mm. uh, many young people are not being channeled to the right career guidance path, mm. although we have supported about 1.3 million youth with career guidance services. But if we could just coordinate our efforts better between private sector, public sector, institutions of higher learning, mm. uh, NGOs, etc., we could reach more young people with better products and services, and I think in time to come, we could see the impact we want to realize. Well, that's fantastic. It's been a great theme, very uh, theme that we don't look a lot. Uh, it's just an ordinary life. I forget about youth work, to be honest, and it's been great to have all of you speaking to us on this, and it's been very, very informative. I want to thank our guest, Catherine Ellis, the Director of the Youth Division at the Commonwealth Secretariat. Thank you to Yashen Pillay, the Executive Chairperson of the National Youth Development Agency. Thank you as well to Professor Veronica McKay, the Dean of the College of Education at the University of South Africa. Thank you for giving us your time. I know that the conference is continuing. I hope that you enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Spe- you very much. Sure, great. sure. That's how we wrap it up. Thank you, thank you, thank you indeed. It's been a great one. That takes us to 11.45. Wisani Matebula is already ready to give us our business news. Good morning. Thanks, Benjamin. South African President Jacob Zuma and his Nigerian counterpart, Muhammadu Buhari, have been tasked to monitor political and economic cooperation between the two countries. South Africa and Nigeria have signed 34 bilateral agreements which are being managed through the two countries' binational commission. Two-way trade stands at uh, 389 million U.S. dollars. Uh, speaking after his meeting with uh, Buhari in Abuja, Zuma said trade and investment had to increase. We have recognized the important role played by the South Africa-Nigeria Binational Commission since its inception in 1999. As we forge a strategic partnership between the two state nations, we have decided to elevate the Binational Commission to the level of the heads of states. In this way, my brother and I will be able to lead as well as monitor progress in various areas of cooperation. Zimbabwe's finance minister and the International Monetary Fund will hold a press briefing late on Wednesday 
which is today to announce the IMF's assessment of the final staff monitoring program for an IMF loan. The IMF approves it's likely to bring the country closer to securing its first loan from the global lender in over 15 years. And the African Development Bank will establish a 300 million US dollar facility for women in Africa, which will reduce their perceived risk as borrowers from financial institutions. According to the World Bank's International Finance Corporation, women own about 48% of all enterprises in Africa but still face challenges. The facility will make it easier and cheaper for women to access loans to begin or upgrade their businesses. Sarah Kimani reports. The African Development Bank estimates that the demand for financing for African women entrepreneurs stands at about $19 billion, a missed opportunity for financing institutions, most of which consider women as a credit risk. The bank is seeking to bridge that huge financing gap. Moleketi says it is not only tough for women in business, it is called in the boardrooms, and to change that, she says, unity among women entrepreneurs is key. The bank on Tuesday launched a program in Nairobi that aims to make the internet a safer space for women. As Lesotho's government and opposition, civil society and media remain preoccupied with parliament boycotts and suspensions, all have missed a deadline set by the Lesotho Electricity Company. The utility has asked for written submissions on an application to hike tariffs by 25.4%. Although Lesotho Electricity and Water Authority says it embarked on a massive drive of publicity, only three ordinary citizens and one textiles firm wrote to oppose the hike. Ntakawana Ngatane reports. The Lesotho Electricity Company says their application anticipates more connections, improving their infrastructure and an estimated 8% increase in bulk purchases from ESCOM. The only company that wrote to oppose the hike says it employs 10,000 people a quarter of the country's highest private sector employer, textiles manufacturing. It says the hike should at least be in line with the 5.1% inflation. It warns that the hike will soar production costs. Your financial indicators, the dollar at uh, 15.34, South African rands at 10.99, Botswana Pula at 11.30, Zambian Kwacha also at 0.72, the British pound at 0.90 against the euro, commodities gold $1,255, platinum is at $968 a fine ounce, Brent crude oil is at $39.63 per barrel, and that's your economics news. Let's quick um, let's quickly move on and get our sports. In your sport, Zimbabwe's Soccer Federation is investigating one of its senior officials over suspicions who was attempting to fix two upcoming African Cup of Nations qualifiers. The Zimbabwe Football Association ZIFASA Executive Committee member Etai Kasenauyo is suspended after he was suspected to have been working with a syndicate to fix Zimbabwe's home and away qualifiers against Swaziland later this month. ZIFA said that its president, Philip Chiangwa, will consult World Football Governing Body FIFA and the Confederation of African Football CAF before making more detailed comments. 
And now back home in local South African football, Supersport United has beaten Morocco Swallows 1-0 to book a place in the round of 16 at Ben Cup that was played at the Dobsonville Stadium in Soweto on Tuesday. With this defeat, Swallows have now stretched their winless streak to eight games in all competition and are still without a victory in 2016. Supersport United coach Stuart Baxter admitted that uh, complacency was always going to creep in given the poor performance on the home team. We spoke so much before the game about getting the attitude right and, and Swallows will have this game that, uh, that's divorced from their turmoils and their run of the mill. And I thought we came out and for five or ten minutes it was just the pitch was just difficult for both teams. With Supersport United out of the league race, Stuart Bexer has admitted that winning the Netbank Cup could just be their only realistic goal that is still worthy of fighting for. This is the only the only real chance to get silverware. It's two things, isn't it? It's one that this is their only chance for redemption, really, isn't it? You know, it's the only chance for a few of the lads in that dressing room to say, "Hey, we weren't so bad," you know. And I'm guessing that that is what is important to them, and I'm guessing that the silverware is what's important to the football club. And in athletics, South Africa's 100-meter champion and national record holder Akane Simbine believes that his best is yet to come and he can still run faster than his current times. He was speaking after setting a new South African 100-meter record, finishing in 9.96 seconds at the inaugural Athletic South Africa Night Series at Pilditch Stadium in Pretoria on Tuesday night. It's an amazing feeling, you know, but it doesn't feel real because that's my first race of the season and I'm so surprised that I'm in that shape already because we haven't done much work on my end work, you know, and I'm not really race fit, but I'm just really excited to be where I am now and I'm just hoping that I can just build on this. And in rugby, South African servants, Blixboke captain Kyle Brown says that there's an urgent need to address their discipline issues ahead of the Vancouver leg of the series this weekend. The Blixboke got bundled out of the cup competition in the semi-finals by Australia after giving away two penalty tries and two yellow cards. Brown admits that the lack of discipline has cost them dearly and it is making it difficult for them to win matches. I think, I think anybody who, who hears that we lost by two penalty tries will realise very quickly that it must be the discipline thing that got us uh, uh, caught up in that game. Um, I think it was about six penalties and one yellow card in, in a game, in a playoff game against Australia, and they've been playing some great rugby throughout the weekend. It uh, means that you're not going to see yourself into the final one, and it's going to be very difficult to win almost any game if you're going to play like that. And finally, in golf, the homestands will be favourite and crowd pullers for the second staging of the True Thailand Classic in Huang Hing. But there are plenty of the European Tour regulars set to challenge. Nick Dai has more. Jai Di came close last year. He has a villa on the course here at Black Mountain and he practices here. He was playing well in Malaysia prior to illness, which saw him admitted to hospital. The doubt is whether he's fully recovered. Afi Barnrat has been less eye-catching so far this season, but the three-times tour winner, back from a week in the States, has often enjoyed a course which can suit the long hitters. Lara Farbel and Peters have already shown their ability this season, along with the likes of Alex Levy, Peter Uline and Joost Lauten. While Andrew Dote defends the title, Jimenez is looking to stretch his record as the oldest tour winner. The evergreen Spaniard, like Jai D, came close a year ago. And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for being part of the conversation. As usual, remember, you can continue to give us your thoughts. What do you think about the issue of youth work and its importance in our communities? How can we support it even more? Give us your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. And we also have the option of email. You can email us at info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. Well, from me, Benjamin Mushatama, until tomorrow, God bless. Thank you.